I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Yes or no, did you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. I had no prior knowledge of the planned assault on Nancy Kerrigan. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior I engaged in. Welcome to Oops! The Podcast. Oh, it sounds good. (laughs) We are physically together again. The band is back together. Cheers to that, dude. For the first time in months. Unbelievable. We have not seen each other or been in physical proximity for some 10 odd weeks, probably more. And we are now back in our home studio, home base in our comfortable purple chairs set off by a, our colorful, wonderful backdrop. We've got Chris and Julio, both wearing lovely pastel-colored t-shirts. <laughs> the two of them seem to coordinate outfits before we meet. It makes me feel left out and angry. Uh, Julio, how are you? Dude, good to fucking see you, man. It's great to see you. This is fantastic. It is. Chris, how are you? I'm great, but you put on that beautiful floral shirt just to... Uh... To get in with us. I don't own shirts that come from a Crayola pack. <laughs> I I don't own a, a watercolor outfit. Uh, so, you dude, you, this shirt looks like you inherited it <laughs> from a, my dead grandmother. <laughs> Damn it! I love this shirt. It's a good shirt, dude. It's, yeah. it's timeless. Oh. Yeah, it's I gotta tell you. That was probably the single biggest uh, joy for me, was returning to the apartment and having access to my wardrobe again. Yeah, dude, I, I, I know. I, know I have know. worn the same three pairs of pants for a hundred days. That's crazy. I have worn, you know, the same shirts, the same fucking four t-shirts, the same three pairs of pants for, for so many days, and it just feels so boring. Yeah, yeah, it does. And there's something now having access to my wardrobe again, it feels as if someone went shopping for me and I'm every day just putting on brand new clothes. Right, right. Which is is the best feeling. It is a nice surprise. I will say this though, on the other side of that, I feel like I, I definitely appreciated the fact that I suddenly realized I don't need all my shit. Yeah. Right. What? I'm still laughing about (laughs) your, your comment about how I inherited, look like I inherited this shirt. That's so funny. That's so funny. It caught like it took my breath away. I was like, "Oh, where do I go from here?" You know, it was such a good insult. Well, so- dude, with, with thank you, I appreciate that. With uh, with it's funny we're like now politely. You're like that was a nice. Oh, I, I was like, all right, thank now you, I'm Francis, just to roast yeah. back, but I I yeah, don't I mean- even know who I am anymore. <laughs> <laughs> do i have a dick <laughs> dude already baby 30 seconds out of the gate yeah ripping that was that was great um but i feel like there's this illusion of choice with wardrobe when it comes to wardrobe like i i know you to feel comfortable wearing certain things more than other things mm-hmm. like sometimes i'll be like i'll see a t-shirt that i see you wear that i'm familiar with yes because you like certain t-shirts like, I feel like that's how it works with clothes. Like, certain shit just fits you well, mm-hmm. and you're down to wear it. So, like, in a situation like this, more broadly, this has reminded me that I shouldn't be so worried about massive change or about things kind of going to shit because things have gone to shit. Yes. And we're in New York City, and things have really gone to shit. And although it fucking sucks, like, 
we're we're living our life still you know true having said that it is very apparent to me that the clothes that i brought with me to maine were not my a team ah dude i did not bring my starting rotation same i did not bring my best bullpen (laughs) totally and uh that's devastating by the way when you are forced to wear your jr smith (laughs) 40 times in 100 days you know what i mean totally totally um but then again nobody's really seeing you so it just ends up being that you and your girlfriend are are a lot less attracted to each other (laughs) Uh, well dude you're also lucky to have jr smith coming off the bench (laughs) that's true right by the way speaking of jr smith and this is a great transition into obviously we're going to tackle some of the serious stuff that's happening we we were so joyous to see each other but uh make no mistake we're we're very in tune with the the uh the civil unrest and the clamor and the uh the, the, the really the, the adversity that is facing the country right now but let's start with jr smith i'm sure maybe you saw the clip i did of him just beating the hell out <laughs> of some idiot who broke his window it reminds me of that joe budden clip where those like three oh, yeah. internet trolls like went after Joe Budden and he just chased them down. Yeah, like he, it was in his car, right? GTA. Yeah, that was awesome. Came up to their window and was like, you fucked the wrong person. If I see you again, I'll kill you. <laughs> and they were like, we know, you know, we know you'll kill us. Um, but J.R. Smith, uh, famous obviously for uh, forgetting that the score was tied in NBA Finals. <laughs> Game one, uh, <laughs> dribbling out after getting an offensive rebound that could have won the game against the Warriors upon LeBron James's best, I think, best playoff performance ever, 51-8-8 eight eight or something. Um, the game goes to overtime, they lose, and get swept in the series. Ending LeBron's second tenure in Cleveland. Uh, J.R. Smith, kind of a laughingstock of so many people as a result of that. Um, he is seen here in this clip, uh, beating up a guy who broke his window. And then immediately he had, he did have the foresight to post an explanation himself. That was really smart of what was going on. He said, look, this is the broad daylight. It's in a suburban neighborhood. This guy came, didn't know what he was doing and he broke my window. So I beat him up. And everyone was universally like, was like, deserve that good for you, J.R. Smith. Totally. We're behind you. Absolutely. Um, so very funny. Yeah, uh, it was great. And, uh, you know, I mean, J.R. Smith, crazy career for sure. Yeah. But, dude, there's something so funny about watching a guy who's six foot six. I know. Wearing size 17 basketball sneakers try to kick somebody. I know. Those are not kicking shoes. <laughs> Those are flippers. You can't, kicking somebody in basketball shoes does not have the same effect as if you kick somebody in Pumas. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like totally. something that's close to being kind of like a kickboxing, totally. you know, shoe. A basketball shoe is more of a stomping shoe. It makes a, th- a thump. Totally. Yeah. You can't get much impact. It's, <laughs> those tongues are so cushioned. Right, right. Second worst shoe only to maybe some skateboarding shoes, I would say. <laughs> skateboarding shoe, you kick somebody, it's like hitting them with a pillow. Right, right. Um, that's really funny. So, yeah. Hysterical there. Any, any thoughts on JR? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I was happy to see him play well when they got that championship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just went completely. I just felt bad that we were fucking shitting on him. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, he really is, he is an interesting figure. But, dude, yeah, it was really funny that he just, like, 
beat the shit out of that guy, especially because you're. It's so interesting to see a guy who you're used to seeing amongst people who are his size, because mm-hmm. he's like short yeah. on the court. Com- yeah, compared yeah. to everybody, he's so, a shooting guard. Yeah, yeah. To see him towering over this little guy. Yeah, it's definitely smart that he got ahead of that because it looked like you know an unfair fight. Right. But the guy deserved it. I, uh, J.R. Smith is a member of my golf course. Really? And we played in the club championship qualifier last year. No way. And there were only about 12 or 13 guys vying for the eight spots in the club championship. And these were all the top dogs of the club. So it's everybody that's got a, a handicap below seven. So solid, very solid Good golf players. Course. Yeah. It was 97 degrees. Oh my God. And I was in the group, the three ball ahead of J.R. Smith. I'm telling you right now, there is, I've never seen something so funny as watching J.R. Smith and two chubby, short, white dudes (laughs) sweating profusely and walking up the fairway. J.R. Smith looked like a glorious gazelle. (laughs) <laughs> the most athletic, cleanly dressed guy, accustomed to performing in heat. The two guys behind him could not have been a starker contrast so of funny. of just them being, you know, practically collapsing under the heat. <laughs> as Jr. six foot six, Jr. Smith, but still, Jr. didn't qualify. I think wow. He shot like eighty eight or something. Did you? I did. Wow. Yeah, Congrats. I shot eighty four. I held on. And so, how did it go? Did you win the tournament? Then I qualified for the club championship, which was match play, and you played like two or three matches. Oh, interesting. And I lost because I, I was. Is it this... round robin or it's like a single elimination? It's single elimination. I oh. played in the quarterfinals against the, the two seed mm. who ended up winning the whole thing. He, did he just like shoot a crazy he shot score? 70, 70 to me. I oh shot like 81 or something. I mean, I lost every hole. I lost on like the 14th hole. Wow. It was embarrassing. But whatever, you qualify. That's exciting. It was cool. That's really fun. But let's pivot. Um, Let's dive into uh, the stuff that matters. Yeah, I mean, I walked over here today from the East Village. We are in New York City, currently recording on Monday. Correct. So, you know, the morning after a night of, yeah, June 1st. Right. uh, A night, a second night in a row of uh, protests that that in many places turned into riots. Looting. Looting. Mm Mm-hmm fires right uh and, and uh it's it's very it's a tense moment it's scary you know what i mean it's just it it is it's unsettling because you know for a variety of reasons like broadly it's scary because it's the city you live in you're watching it kind of just get get destroyed and i completely understand the the protests and and the and the frustration and i, I get it all and i agree and i feel that way too um but it's crazy to see like stores that you're used to walking by just with gigantic holes or no glass in the storefront. Yeah. And like every, all over the city too. Like on the walk here, like I saw nail salons uh, and then like designer clothing stores and just like liquor stores everywhere. And it's crazy. Yeah. It speaks to um, a truth which you don't see very often, which is that New York City despite its tens, if not hundreds of thousands of police officers, simply does not have the means to quell uh, up uprisings right. if every if enough people are involved. The people are the power. They cannot handle it. There totally. is not a system in place to fully uh, quiet 
angry mob. To thwart yeah. the protesters. Um, and so, you know, that reality basically means that if shit really hit the fan, it it's every man for himself. Right. You're on your own. Totally. Um, there, there are so many angles to this. Uh, obviously, you know, our stance is, you know, as far as the, the George Floyd murder, which is what it was, mm-hmm. uh, is a horrific uh, new chapter in, in a far too long book already of, totally. of police brutality and mistreatment, certainly, uh, of people of color. Um, it's just another sad, sick moment. Uh, it, you compare it to things like gun violence and, and it, you know, you wonder like, what is there to be done? What can right. we do? Why does this shit keep happening? I think that it came at an incredibly interesting moment. Uh, we've never faced a global pandemic that has caused people to be so pent up in their emotions, totally. in their feelings of, of, uh, helplessness already. Um, you know, we can't, there's nothing people can do. People have been inside for two months. And so it was sort of a perfect storm, um, to, to, I think, create what, what looks to be the biggest reaction so far that I can remember. In my lifetime. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't, really remember the la riots right. i don't I, that's, remember that's where my brain just went to like um, lots and yeah i don't remember you know the stuff the burnings and all of that uh right. so for me this is as far as the fact that it spread to so many different cities beyond right. minneapolis where it, you know what happened uh is, is just incredible um it has affected so many people and um you know I, 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 I struggle to find the words. Yeah, and and right. part of that is that I'm nervous to speak on this issue. Right. I'm nervous to post on this issue. Right. On social media. Same. There is a, a real, uh, what to me feels like a tightrope walk of being sensitive, being insensitive, uh, being insincere, insincere, looking like you are, in a way, capitalizing on a moment for, or 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 just yeah, insincere is really the threat to me. Yeah. Um, weigh in. I I you know no, I don't you, know. You're saying I, this all really well, and uh, you're. I feel like you're summing it up and speaking for both of us for sure. I I feel like, in the past, like as far as posting about this kind of stuff. It's something that I've sort of shied away from just for because being divisive for whatever reason. And I think if I break it down, it just comes down to like, and I feel bad and guilty saying this, but like inconvenient, it's more convenient to not do it, mm-hmm. which is fucked up to even say aloud. Like I feel, right. ba- I feel terrible saying that, but it's, it's unique right now. And I think that this is good and healthy that people are really pressuring everybody to post about this stuff. Yeah. And, um, my girlfriend mentioned it to me. She's like, are you going to post something? And I hadn't even really thought about it just because I've always sort of been like, I'm going to separate that. Like, that's not who I am to like, we're be political. Yeah. I'm Our like, tr- brands try to keep are it light to make people laugh. Totally. And yeah. I, I, t- I, even with my stand up, I tend to not go, I tend to not like joke about that kind of stuff. And sometimes I feel bad about the, the fact that I don't. Right. I keep it kind of personal or whatever. But I feel like now 
um, there's a pressure and they're like, if you're not saying anything, then you're fucking up essentially. You're with the other side or right. you're, you're contributing to the problem. You're right. And, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. I do. Interesting. I do. And, and with, with a caveat, I don't think that silence on social media means that you are voicing your support for the police. Right, of course. Or for continued, you know, fucking racial divide in this country. My thought is that uh, I have have two thoughts. The very cynical side of me says that a lot of these people, a lot of, especially the white people, comedians, whoever, that are posting on social media you know, they're angry things, especially the, uh, you know, if you're not standing up to this, you are, you're a bad guy. Right. Um, and you're not posting about this, you're, you're doing wrong. Those people who just post a Black Lives Matter thing on their Instagram, then they kind of wipe their hands and they say, my job is done. Right, right. And it's not even, that speaks to the insincerity, which is like. Agreed, agreed. Which is like, uh, did that make a fucking difference? Right. Did that one second screen grab post on Instagram, did that make a difference? Did you actually fucking move the needle? Right. But I think it's like, it's like littering. You know what I mean? It's like if you throw one cup in the street, it doesn't matter. But if everybody throws a cup in the street, it's bad. Well, here's my other way around too. Right. Yeah. Uh, my point is, okay, what, what could you do that would actually create meaningful change? Right. Right. Beyond just, hoping that your social media post in this now sea of social media posts uh would would kind of move move people and galvanize a a, a real change in this country mm. um and for me and this is kind of a left turn something that i can do beyond donating to these causes or just throwing money at like whatever is um for me it comes down to education mm-hmm. and i've always thought that the achievement gap which is that you know uh white students in america versus uh black students hispanic students historically have tested far higher and that this leads to greater professional opportunities college placement all of that uh along a racial divide and that is bullshit right and it it shows up very prominently among fourth graders and the fact that there is not equal opportunity for kids who are fucking eight years old is bullshit and that makes me mad it's upsetting and years ago uh i started doing some research because i was a tutor Mm. in new york city and i was very good at teaching and i liked teaching and i had a little bit of free time on my hands during the day I found this charter school in Brooklyn that was teaching uh, would take kids who had been um, who had been either expelled or had been failed out of local public schools, and this was kind of like their last chance school. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to the principal, got in touch, figured out their mission, and I would go there twice a week and I taught a ge- geometry class because they were understaffed. It's nice, and that was something that I could do with a skill that I had, which was teaching, to directly impact, admittedly, a small number of kids, 15 kids in my class, twice a week, but hopefully make a change for those kids. 
Right. 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 And that's all you can hope to do. You can't right. change the system on your own. I thought and have always thought that education is the weapon against ignorance. And in and, and also in inequality inequality against exactly. really truly it, it, Right. Yeah. So time and skill to me always felt like better ways to combat uh you know inequality and and uh like doing your part. Yeah, than Absolutely. than posting on social media. Right. Right? And I never posted on social media that I was going to the school to do this. And I'm only talking about it now to tell people that walking one night in a protest, yes, that is good. Showing your solidarity with this is good. Posting on social media is good. But putting your boots on the ground, getting your hands around the problem, offering physical skills and time mm -hmm. to help put out the flames is far more valuable in my opinion. Right. No, I agree. And that is where I believe change can really happen from a grassroots standpoint. Right. Um, so if that means, you know, going down to a homeless shelter or uh, volunteering at a school or, or coming up with some way to, to, to actually really do things with the skill that you have that is needed, uh, I would encourage our listeners to look into that right more yeah. than just donating 50 100 500 bucks to some cause right dude 100 percent. and i think that you know i think you're so i think it's so true what you're saying like education is just by it's like the most important thing to stop a lot of the problems or to curb them the, mm -hmm. a lot of the problems that we have right. from from you know mainstream conspiracy theories to you know racial inequality like there's a lot of things that can be um gained by you know access to education and right. all this kind of stuff. And I think even further, um, I think you just made an amazing, amazing point and that was, that was, you know, all great stuff. Um, but as far as education is concerned, I think just the amount of awareness that has been brought to this stuff over the past, you know, decade or even, you know, even, even in the past few years has been very valuable to me. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, you know about racism, you know about, and I, I just don't think that I knew about the scale with which these things were happening still. Right. Um, even in adulthood, you know what I mean? And more so now, but just like, even as far as just like stuff with incarceration and people being put on death row, having like the, the weakest case ever, like the guy clearly didn't do it. And these people are on death row and being put to yeah. death. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like, and, and cell phones have been such an amazing tool for, for so many things and causes as yeah. far, even as far as like, Poverty, you know, what I mean mm -hmm. being able to just like wire people money from your cell phone has taken more people out of poverty than anything in the past You know 20 years. Yeah, and the ability to film shit has really just opened our eyes to how often This kind of shit has it has been, has been happening, right? You know, what I mean and you wonder uh, ha You know, I, I that probably has made police officers much more nervous to use tactics that before had gone unseen, right? Totally. Uh, of more like brutal kind of shit. And and look, don't get don't get me wrong. I would think I mean, in this day and age, if you want to become a police officer, I commend you because I couldn't do it. Yeah. I think that has to be one of the most thankless, terrifying jobs 
Totally. You have to pick. We talked about this before. You got to pitch a perfect game. Right. You got to pitch a perfect game. Every fucking time you pull someone over for speeding, having a broken taillight, and you walk up to that car, that is a terrifying walk. You don't know if you're going to get shot. You don't know if you've pulled someone over who just robbed a bank. Regardless of skin color, any of that shit, every day you're on the line, you could get shot. Right. Especially if you work in certain places, right? Totally. So uh, you're on edge. You're operating at a very high tension frequency. And you're reacting in split seconds to things that you perceive as threats. And look, it's one thing to kneel on a guy's neck for nine minutes. We all know that's fucking murder. Fuck that guy. Yeah. But, you know, it, we also know that, as I said, I could see making a mistake as a police officer carries the weight of potentially setting the entire country off. Right. Uh, you know, totally. lighting the country on fire. Totally. And over, this was over, I mean, and, and I know this point has been beaten into our brains over the past few days, but the guy had a fake $20 bill. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that seems like... Right. And this guy, by the way, that's not the mistake, right? That's not mistake. But just knowing that as a police officer, like you, you, you have the potential to to light the country on fa- fire with a decision you make. Like I'm not doing that. Totally, totally. Nope. I don't have the power to move people to protest in my work. Yeah, right. Do right. you know what I mean? Right. So there's luxury. There's comfort in the fact that not that many people give a shit about what I do. Right. Um, right. So it comes with a great deal of responsibility, and I don't know. I th- I, it's it's tough to not talk in circles because there's just so many there's so many things angles about. about this. So that's another thing. I've been really feeling. Uh, there's some glimmers of like of hope in all these in all this craziness where you see these pictures of you know I saw a p- picture of a protester and a cop pounding each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think it's important to remember that you know. It, these things are so complicated. It's hard to just make a decision about what it is and what it isn't. Right. I think it's important to kind of like assess, try to learn, try to try to learn good and bad things and try to make changes for the future because there's a lot of peaceful protests. Obviously, there's a lot of cops who aren't bad. Obviously, there's a lot of the opposite, a lot of people looting and stealing and a lot of bad cops out there. You know what I mean? Like things aren't simple. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And right. I, I think that that's an important thing to remember. Um, and I hope that, you know, Maybe like this is a, a whole, uh, an encouraging moment because things are progressing. You know what I mean? I think part of the frustration of this whole thing is that every time something happens, everybody speaks out, everyone gets pissed and then nothing happens. And that is very frustrating. Yeah. Like, how are you not going to change anything? I know with the gun stuff, it's a very similar thing. Like it keeps happening. No one does anything. Keeps happening. No one does anything. So this, even though it feels extreme, um, it's it's there's something encouraging about it in general about the idea of t- continuing to take it to the next step to try to enact change right when it seems like it's been very difficult to do right you know i think the education thing here works in in a way too though you know maybe police academies need to incorporate some kind of training element right of, they've been saying that of the proper way to like hold on to somebody that you're Right, right. I don't know. How do you? No, what, it, should, it seems like it seems like a no brainer of like, right. If a guy's running away from you, don't shoot him. Totally. If a guy is, 
on you know you don't leave your neck like stay away from the neck what i, I don't i don't know i know i know the body cam thing is is, is yeah. a good step and but but surveillance it, everywhere I don't know. the reason that i keep coming back to the education thing is that a lot of the statements that i've seen from prominent media personalities my old boss dave portnoy put out a, a, a pretty good clip on his instagram uh or twitter or whatever of of his reaction to all of this and he said, um, you know, growing up, he never worried walking down the street that a cop was going to come up and kill him. He never feared the cops. In fact, he felt always as if the cops were protecting him. How do we get to a point where black people feel the same right. way about the police? Right. Because right now it's not that way. Right. And I thought that was a very compelling point. But his answer was he didn't know. He doesn't know, right? I'm saying education could be a start focusing on that funding schools trying to come up with community outreach programs mentorships big brothers uh big brother programs all of these things get involved you know we've talked about this on the show cross-cutting bonds social capital totally, totally uh we were talking about it from the standpoint of like interracial relationships but there's no reason that white people tutoring black people or vice versa or, or, or just like f finding some way to, 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 to have an impact on a young person. Um, it, it, that is a great way to create trust and to create a sense that these, these, these black youth are not alone in this fight. Right. Um, and I think that that is an inspiring and hopefully meaningful way to create change. Totally. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, well said. We'll post. We'll probably, you know, do some research and post some some <laughs> programs for people to kind of look into if they feel so inclined. Guys, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, fill in the blanks here. If I were in a concert right now and I said, "If you're thinking about starting a podcast," I'd then turn the microphone to all of you sitting in the stadium, and you would all yell, "Anchor, anchor!" And then you'd say, "Go to Anchor.fm to download the software where you could host your very own podcast, see all the best analytics." You could see it in a way that was really user-friendly and nice and not too technical and industry jargony. It's a way that any person can look at it and be like, ooh, that's pretty. And also it's our podcast. And you, there's no minimum listenership required to advertise and monetize. So you can immediately have ads when you hit the ground running. It's really exciting, really spectacular. If you want to start your very own podcast, anchor.fm, download it now. The social media side of it. Mm -hmm. One of the other reasons I haven't posted is that you know, you, you get made fun of sometimes for white knighting. Totally. And it's so hard to, I feel like no matter what I do, I'm, I'm really scared of like upsetting some of my close friends yeah. who like, who this, this issue is much more, you know, uh, real to them. Right. You know what I mean? Like we, you know, we've tons of black friends, like they have sort of helped me over understand a lot of this stuff over the years, but I, I'm so scared of like, seeming insensitive or white knighting or yeah. seeming like it's hard to like be supportive and not get shit for it and beyond being made fun of just about like people thinking oh fuck people are mad at you right you know what i mean i don't want to piss off my black friends by posting something where they think it's just a credit grab where i am just trying to get credit for having said something right you know and that's, it speaks to the insincerity part of it. Totally. Like none of what we do should be for the sake of having that feeling of, I did my part. 
Right. Totally. And it's, un- and it's uncomfortable. And th- but that's good. It's good that it's uncomfortable yeah. because, you know, somebody would say, you know what else is uncomfortable? Having somebody kneel on your fucking neck till you die. Right. By saying that, am I being, am I white knighting right now? You know what I mean? Like, it's right. such a hard thing to navigate around. Um, and I feel, I feel uh, unqualified to be talking about this yes. so broadly. I feel, I feel stressed out. Like, I'm nervous. This conversation is making me nervous. Right. Because I don't want to, I want to make sure that I represent myself in a way that is fair and, and just and acceptable and there's so much that goes into it that it's just like such a hard thing but even you saying this right. makes me nervous that people are going to be like how dare you complain about feeling nervous about totally, what to say totally. and i'm not complaining I'm, we're not I'm just explaining how it what how it is like the reason why i'm thinking about whatever i'm thinking right i'm not i know that like i'm not i have nothing to complain yeah and i know that the, like what you said what your boss said about not knowing what it feels like to feel like, you know, as a kid, like I felt the, like the police were a friend. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like totally. I feel guilty being able to say that. You like, know, you know, one thing for me that I've already felt and have kind of resolved, which I think is a good thing is that, uh, you know, I've told jokes that were based on race mm-hmm. in my standup act. I have too. Um, and you know, maybe they were a little lazy. They weren't, they weren't like hateful certainly. And I don't think uh, frankly, frankly enough, people would have seen them that I would have been canceled had they been bad. They weren't bad. Um, but in, from this, I made a decision. I was like, I am not doing race jokes anymore. Right. And I'm certainly not doing lazy race jokes. Right. You know, if I come up with something that's brilliant or a, a good story or whatever, or is like meaningful yeah maybe i'll i'll do it but i'm done with like jokes jokes that are based off stereotypes uh same you know same stuff like that it's just it's just it feels lazy and it feel it also feels like uh, you're just unaware it, it yeah you're not helping you're making shit worse you're, and, you're... and it's like hello have you where have you been the past five years or whatever exactly like you're just gonna be like oh a fucking black guy i can do it yeah <laughs> like it's just how are you going to go up there and do no that? No more. Right you know how many. Also, we can't do stand up right now. I know. What? <laughs> this is so crazy. Like, there's no stand up anyway. So, like. I would, I would love to see, you know, Dave Chappelle turn this into a funny thing. Into gold. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, I've sort of accepted that, like, I can never, I don't know that I can ever be on that level. And I think I'm fine oh, yeah. with that. And yeah. that's totally fine. Like, yeah. I, you know, uh, it's for a variety of reasons. But it, I would really enjoy watching him say something really pro, profound and profound. Yeah, he finds a way to philosophize these things while also making them funny, and yeah. uh, that's what uh, George Carlin did. That's what Richard Pryor did. They were speakers for their generation in their time, and uh, boy, it would be really great to see Dave Chappelle drop in and offer offer just kind of off the top thoughts just to let his mind unfold in front of an audience. I would pay so much money to be there for that. Totally do. You know what? This made me think real quick. Are you, are you friends with Drew, Drew Michael? Yeah. Yeah. So I, he's a friend of mine too. I like him a lot. Mm-hmm. He did like a, a special right. that was, that was like no kind of controversial. Yeah. There's no audience for HBO for HBO. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. And I would love to, we should maybe try to talk to him about just how much his special now resonates. 
Oh my God. I hadn't even thought about that. And I saw yeah. him post on his Instagram, something like crazy, like something alluding to that fact. Like he's aware of it, obviously. Um, but he did his whole special without an audience. And I guess it's a different kind of special. It's not a mm-hmm. conventional comedy special. Like I heard comedians be like, it's not a special. It's like, okay, fine. Like we don't need to put things in a box. Like he did yeah. something different. Like you don't have to like it. It's fine. Like, right. um, it seemed like it really fit his brand of material too. I, I recommend checking it out. Um, but I don't know where I'm going with this, but it, it's funny to yeah, we think that reach like, out to him. Let's, let's get him on you the know, cause, cause like I could see Chappelle doing something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where like, if he did do that, that would be incredible. Yeah. Like, if Chappelle just did like a special with no audience, the way that drew did it. Right. He could do something incredible like with that. I think that's totally, like, I don't know. All right. So we've, I feel like um, I feel like we've come to a good place. Uh, not a good place, but that's yeah. I, I don't really have a whole lot more to say. Same. I don't think. Agreed. I'm not going to add much value by continuing to talk about this. Agreed. Um, you know, I think we've we've sort of like the things that have come to mind. We sort of before we started recording today, we agreed that about the things that were kind of coming to to mind mm-hmm. initially, mm-hmm. and it was cool, it's cool that we aligned on that. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's going to continue unfolding. We're not going to act like we're the experts about to talk on this situation. We're obviously not. Um, but, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's... Well, let's pivot for a second. I, with with respect to everything that's going on, we are going to shift out of this topic now and uh, and leave leave it for another day. I'm sure we'll have more to say on it. Ooh, but with, sure. with uh, at the risk of, of sounding uh, sort of flippant our our podcast is meant to be uplifting diverting uh it is meant to provide a hopefully a a happy distraction from from harsher times for a lot of people we've gotten dms from people saying exactly that so we're going to return now probably to a series of topics that are absolutely meaningless but hopefully will make (laughs) you laugh and uh in the in these harsh times and you know and i feel like we have a great group of uh of friends and and in this great community that we have of of this oops the podcast and all this shit so uh you know thank you guys for spending time with us during all this um, yeah it's been nice for us and i hope it's nice for you guys too. cool um dude, right. so quick question what do you got i so in this like documentary era where documentaries are the thing i would just like to say that i would like to see more investigative journalism and less recapping like i just watched the jeffrey epstein docuseries and it was just a recap it didn't teach me anything new it was like so surface Mm -hmm. that it was just like really uh disappointing and it was nice to hear from the victims and nice to give them faces and justice to, to a degree um as much as can be had i know he's dead now um but it's really frustrating when i get really excited about this documentary that gets shoved down my throat and then it just doesn't present any new information. Well, here's what I would say. I think that it's recapping to you because it sounds like you read the story in real time pretty closely. Not even. I honestly didn't. I wasn't okay. like reading the Times every day. Fair point. But like just based on discussions, and maybe it's because I'm from New York and I know people who knew him and all this shit, but um, it was just no- nothing new to me. But I, I, fair point. Yeah, I guess my point is my favorite documentaries are about topics where I kind of missed it and I watched this thing and I'm like, I never knew that happened. Totally. I didn't know these people were involved. 
I can't believe it went that high. Totally. Um, okay. Fair. And so for That's me, fair. you know, yeah, I, I followed the Jeffrey Epstein closely story pretty closely, but I'm I'm not really sure to what extent Bill Clinton was involved. I, I you know, you hear these rumors and whispers he's ridden on the plane you won't so learn about it in the doc either okay well then, then that just sounds like a bad documentary <laughs> right, yeah, right? It, it really doesn't uncover anything new in those areas where we're like was he there like right they kind of very briefly glaze over that there's such a conspiracy theory element to the jeffrey epstein case and, totally. and a lot of conspiracy theorists feasted upon it to say that you know hillary clinton was involved whatever all this shit uh, and, and then he didn't kill himself. He was killed. Right. Uh, and if, if the documentary doesn't go into that, then it's far less Barely. salacious and, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't sound that interesting. It just includes that part that when they did, you know, the coroner report or whatever, they said that like, it appeared like it was a bizarre suicide. Yes. Like there was foul play or whatever, which sounds, again, not, it's yeah. not breaking news. Sounds pretty surface level. Totally. Um, the one thing that's interesting about Jeffrey Epstein, though, before we move on from this, is that I've been getting emails from the president of Harvard as an alumnus. Mm -hmm. I get these emails, and he explains what, uh, what they're doing with the money that Jeffrey Epstein donated to Harvard. Wow. Because over the years, he's donated over $9 million, right? Wow. And... They accepted it and they put it towards things. And then, of course, all of this came out. And uh, since then, they've taken the all of the money that he donated or just matched it or whatever. And they've uh, they've put it towards women's causes. That's good. That's good. And uh, victims of, of, of abuse and trafficking and, and, and organizations that fight that. So... I think Harvard has tried to do well by this otherwise uh, pretty poisonous uh, influx of cash that they got. Are you an involved alumni? Not at all. I'm impressed that you even read the email, though. Well, that one was so interesting to me. Right, right, right. I mean, right. how do you deal with something like that? So do you go to reunions? Do you, do you donate money? Like, are you involved? In I went to my five-year reunion, and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. With the because of the girlfriend stuff. Correct. Yeah, I remember that story. Yeah. I'm sorry, dude. No, that's okay. <laughs> but it made mood. me it made me not ever want to go back there. Right. But the sick part of it is that I would hate for any child of mine. To, <laughs> I think it's safe to say any child of mine is not going to get into Harvard. Why do you think that? Because I just think that I have said too much stuff as a comedian, and I'm too controversial of a person that any fucking harvard uh admissions officer is gonna google the family name and be like mm. he said what fuck this kid i don't care how good they are at the cello um <laughs> well this would be you know the, i think the, <laughs> the cello is always the example of extracurricular it is instrument nobody ever says oh. flute or viola it's, it's always, always the, the cello, cello. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking cello <laughs> Well, dude, I think it'd be very Harvardian of you if you got ahead of got ahead of this problem and gave your kid maybe your wife's name. <laughs> yeah, have... or just change our names completely. Completely change your. But names. dude, you know, um, you, you do start to think about this sort of thing uh, now, where you, you start to say, okay, well, should I be donating money, even in a small amount, to Harvard? So that they can look back 15 years from now and be like, oh, yeah, he's been donating money every year for 15, 20 years. Um, you know, you start to think about that this far in advance. No, totally. 
And I think that there is some sort of strong argument about donating to universities. I mean, the private universities in America, you know, it's hard to argue that there's a better a country that has better private universities. Obviously, there's scattered mm-hmm. good universities, but the volume of good universal good institutions in America is unlike anything else. Correct. And there's value there. Yeah. But if someone's like, "Do you want to donate money?" I would have to have a lot of money to be donating to my school. That would be one of the lowest causes you, I, or I things you would donate money I, to. In my mind, there are better things to give your money to. And I, I hold my college experience in high regard, even though I owe a lot of money still. And even though, <laughs> you know, all this stuff, I think it was an important experience for me. But... Um, hard to donate money to a school that you still owe money it's to. It's very hard. <laughs> That's, you know... It's hard. Also, how do they accept that gift? They'd be like, well, we're, we appreciate your $2,000 gift, but you still owe us... like why don't you chip away at that exactly yeah no exactly um and that and i know that that has nothing to do with them it's not like they loaned me the money that's right you know what i mean but still fundamentally and i think this speaks to part of the divide that we were talking about before not to go back to this but to get that high level education and to ensure that you're in a place where you can be accepted to that high level education there's a lot of money that typically goes into that. Yeah. From starting from a very young age to put yourself in the proper circles to be able to like have your median place that you can get accepted to be very good still. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. I, even from public schools, unless you're going to like the best public schools, um, you know, you have to be really top of the class to have a shot. Dude, and, and it's only getting harder. Right. You know, it, it is so apparent to me as I especially as I, you know, I tutored uh, a lot of seventh and eighth graders. uh and I stopped tutoring, I don't know, four or five years ago, which means that all those kids now are either like freshmen in college or they were applying. And I had some really smart kids. Right. I mean, I had, these were wealthy, Upper East Side, top private schools in New York City, Trinity, Collegiate, Dalton, Horace Mann. Right. Uh, Fieldston, all these schools that are held up as like the, the best private schools in the country. Right, right. And these kids are, you know, yeah, some of them are getting into like Georgetown, which is sensational. Totally. But the kids who are getting into Georgetown are being summarily rejected by the Ivy League schools. Interesting. Across the board, every single one. Wow. And, and they, you know, they've got fucking near perfect SAT scores. Right. They've got 3.8 GPAs. They're involved in every single club, you could everything. They've, they've been groomed. And their entire family's been going to them for generations. Correct. And they still can't get it. And it's, uh, it's, just, it's just not happening. And on top of that, uh, the cost of a, of a year in college at these elite private school colleges has gone up to $75,000 a year. Wow. And you start to wonder, are we pricing ourselves out of college? At what point... Will that elite private college education no longer be worth it? Right, right. How is the model shifting? By the time we have kids who are ready for college, will them coming to us and saying, I don't want to go co- go to college, will we be relieved to right, hear that? Right, right, right. Will we be like, yeah, I agree. It's a fucking bad idea at this point. Totally. Interesting. Food for thought. Chris, what's up? Do you think that this whole Corona stuff will have a huge impact on it too? Because a lot of kids are taking a year off school. They don't want to pay these absurd amount of money to go to school question. online. It's, it's a great question. question. Uh, I, I think the answer is no. 
ultimately. You don't think it's going to impact it? No. I think that once, if things resume as normal, like those people are going to want to still go to these schools. Yeah. I, I think, I think it has an impact in the near term. I think that yeah, like for, for this year and then this next year, a lot of kids will end up taking a, a year off to go do internships or fucking maybe, maybe travel. I doubt it. Uh, but I have a, I have a student that I was, you know, very close to that I kept in touch with who went to USC and this is crazy. He was studying abroad in, uh, Rome in mm -hmm. Italy and was supposed to be there the whole semester, oh, right? Yeah. The spring semester. All this shit starts happening. Italy was, as you remember, the crazy. hot zone okay. in the world. And they sent all their students who were studying abroad their home. He had to go to a hotel near USC and quarantine in isolation Ooh. in his hotel room for two weeks. Ooh. They would drop his food off at his door. He was going fucking crazy. And finally, eventually, you know, USC obviously shut down their campus. He comes back to New York City finishes his semester online and as an out-of-state student at USC it's probably like forty thousand dollars a year or something he said not fucking worth it how can you justify burdening yourself with student debt when you don't have access to things like your fraternity your social life going to on to, to the classes in person it sounds like the, the the professors did everything they could but for the most part everyone was mailing it in totally. staff and students alike totally. and so USC is saying the online classes shit's going to continue in the fall. And he has already made up his mind. It's not fucking worth it. Totally. And I'm, and especially we've been emails from people too, about people who are starting business school who are like, like connections are like the main part of going to business school. So why would I go when exactly. I can't physically go? And that's a strong argument, but it's interesting to see these businesses make uncompelling arguments about how like, like every business that I know is like, we're open come because they have to, because otherwise they're going to fail. Right. And I maybe not as much for the schools because the schools have endowments and all this stuff, whatever. But like hotels are like, come stay with us. And you're like, that's such a bad idea. Right. It seems. I totally agree. It's crazy. Um, let's let's wrap it there for today. This has been a, a very uh I don't know, a lot of lot of like a very heavy episode of Oops the Podcast. Um, but we, we felt that it necessary to speak on these issues. Um join us again on uh on Thursday. We're gonna have Esther Pavitsky on the podcast. And she's fantastic comedian. She's got a great special coming out. And then also join us on Friday, of course, uh, for the second half of this discussion, which we're recording today. Um, as always, please send your stories, thoughts from quarantine. We would love we love hearing from you guys. And we will always share and touch upon uh, issues that we think or, or submissions that we think are compelling. Um, I'm Francis Ellis. He's Julio Gallarati. Uh, you guys are the best. Thank you so much. From the studio. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Hell yeah. <laughs>